you can talk yourself out of anything. But when you just allow your mind to play games with you, it's it's just an excuse. And sometimes it can be, it can be out of laziness, it can be out of fear, whatever it is, but it's just an excuse. What's up, guys? I'm Brian. I'm Tony. And this is the Crucial Conversation Podcast. Well, Brian, we're super excited to have a guest that we've been waiting on forever to be on the show. For a very long time, we've been waiting on this man to be on the podcast. (laughs) And that's not because we've had him scheduled, but it's because he's just a little bit late. 56 minutes late, to be be exact. Can can you uh, defend yourself here, Brock? I was in an intense game of pickleball with Hannah. Pickleball. Did you win? Yes, I did. Okay. Does she need to know that? Do we need uh, to edit that out? Uh, no. She's good. She, she knows. She knows. So who we have on today is our assistant pastor, Brock Runyon, here at the Pentecostals of Jonesboro. Uh, super excited. Brock, you ready to jump in? I am. Absolutely. Well, okay. tell us about yourself real quick. Uh, where, where you're from and everything. Well, I was born in Little Rock. Okay. Um, born in Little Rock and lived most of my life in... Um, Fort Smith to where I where I would say I'm from. Uh, that's where I was raised. Mom and Dad moved there when I was, um, I think I was three the first time. And my grandfather's still a little bit bitter that they moved from Conway <laughs> to Fort Smith, and he'll still he'll still tell you that. Um, but spent most of my time in Fort Smith, and so I would say that I was raised or I, I'm from Fort Smith, and uh, love that area. Love Central Arkansas, just the state, the whole state. I love Arkansas. Let me ask you a question, Brock. Name something that you're terrible at. Let's get people to know you a little bit. Okay, if you were to look at this piece of paper right here in front of me, Uh you would see that it is my handwriting. It is like doctor's handwriting. Chicken scratch. Uh, People look at my handwriting and they're like, how how old are you? Like three? (laughs) Seriously? You you can't even write anybody? And I can't. I've tried... I have, I have, I'm so bad at it. I have looked at YouTube videos and I have attempted to like print practice sheets out and get better at my handwriting because it, it's terrible. Practice sheets? Yeah. Oh, yeah. At what age are we talking here? Like five years ago. <laughs> and hey. I've just, I've just come to the conclusion that it, it is what it is. It is what I it is. I can read too. it. I, I don't know very many people that read my handwriting. And so I know what it is. It, and we're just gonna go with and, it. and that's all that really matters is I, I'm in the same boat. We we should have a competition one time to see who can read the most sentences that we write <laughs> out. Uh, so, Brock, this is of course as we've talked to you before. This is the Crucial Conversation podcast where we talk about different crucial things uh, that affect uh, Christians, affect people in general. Uh, and one thing we want to talk about, and may, we really want to focus in on things that don't get addressed very often. And so right out of the gate, we're going to get into a crucial conversation. Um, you've been going to the gym a lot lately. How much weight have you lost since you've been going to the gym, if you don't mind me asking? I have lost 55 pounds so wow. far. That is awesome, dude. Congratulations. 55. And the reason why we bring it up is because one thing that isn't talked about, talked about very much is physical health in an individual's life, the importance of of taking care of yourself physically. And we want to get your input and your thoughts on what, how a Christian should and how important it is for us 
to take care of our body, the temple of the Holy Ghost? Well, I think it's I think it's extremely important, and um, you know I think it's it's one of those things that I failed at. It mm-hmm. was I, I was failing, and you know we were talking the other night um, after service, and you were kind of Tony, you were kind of talking about um, what has driven you to to get into the gym right. and your your mindset, and listening to you talk about that was exactly where I was. I found myself at a place where I was not happy with myself. I was not happy with how life was going in general. And I was, I was, I can say I was at a point where I was battling depression. Mm -hmm. I've never dealt with that before. Right. And, um, I just found myself where I was extremely unhappy with how things were going. And so I just figured out like, okay, what can I, what can I control? Because that's what I felt like. And, and so even how old are you right now? 29. 29. And this is really the first time you've really struggled with this? Mm-hmm. Awesome. Go on. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, you're I, just, I just wanted to let everybody know your age here. Um, I was, you know, I was real active as a teenager, played basketball all the time. And so when I, when I even before I got married, um, I had, I just quit doing things. Uh, quit being as active as I was once before and uh, just put on put on the weight but I was I felt like I was I felt like my life was out of control I couldn't control any part of my life and it was really getting to me because Mm -hmm. you know we want to be able to say all right I want to be happy I want to be able to make myself happier I want to be able to control things and I felt like I I wasn't able to control anything but I decided, okay, I can control what I eat, and I can control how often I go to the gym. Right. And so that's what I did. That's what really pushed me into it. And now um, it's been it's been right at a year. Next month will be will be right at a year when I really started hitting it hard. And now I I love it. I love mm-hmm. you know I love studying about it. I love reading about it. I just enjoy being in the gym. And and in that, um, I've had an opportunity to meet some guys that Mm -hmm. I play basketball with. Basketball has been great because I hate running. I I can't just run in circles or run on a treadmill. Mm -hmm. I get on there for 30 seconds. I'm like, this is ridiculous. I can't (laughs) do this anymore. But through this, I've had an opportunity to meet some guys and, um, you know, they're, they're guys that I just met there at the gym. I play basketball with them several times a week. And uh, in that, I believe I'm, I've had the opportunity to, to, you know, have conversations with them that have helped them through situations. And it's been a great experience. So whenever you were going through your depression uh, before this, so was it something kind of in your mind, in your spirit? It was. Um, I would say... For me, it was more—it it was more of a mental mm-hmm. battle, um, and that goes. I, I believe those two things go hand in hand, though, because when when you get there, because you know people who battle with things mentally, who spiritually they're strong. Mm-hmm. There, you know, there's still an attack there, um, but for me, it was more of a mental battle, just because I was unsatisfied with where I was and what I was doing because I, I grew up and 
you know, I, I was active and I was like, I'm never going to be that guy. So at your heaviest point, did it, did the depression almost affect you in the ministry at any, at any point? Absolutely that? it does. Like, can you Absolutely. elaborate on that a little bit? Um, I think, you know, it, it affects, it affects how you deal with people and, mm-hmm. you know, that, that's something that. And how that, you see yourself. Right. Right. And there has to be, you know, if I, if I'm looking at myself and I'm saying, bro, what are you doing? Like, you, you, what are you doing right now? What are you doing with your life? What are you doing with, with, you know, everything that you have, all all the opportunities, what have you done with it? Mm -hmm. How can I help someone else reach their full potential? Right. If I don't feel like I'm reaching, reaching mine. And so it most certainly affects you in ministry. And so since you've been going and being active in the gym, you have felt this fog of depression leave. Absolutely. How incredible is that? The way that our body, mind, and spirit all kind of intertwine. The, the unspoken thing about taking care of yourself physically, how much it really has implications on the way you think, on the way that you can connect with God even because it affects you on that spiritual level. Mm-hmm. And then in ministry, it, it is incredible to me how it all just, how we're just designed by God and it all fits together. It's amazing that God knows what he's talking about in his word when he talks about your body being the temple of the Holy Ghost. Right. Your body houses something that's so valuable. And when we take care of that, it just internally makes us feel so much better. Absolutely. Well, I... Brian, you don't know this, um, but a couple of weeks ago, it's been about five weeks ago, um, I host a small group here out of our church, and we were we went down to Memphis for a guy's outing, and on the way home, this is, I don't want to talk about my depression every single episode, mm-hmm. it seems like I've done that, I don't want to do that, but when it almost came to a head for me where I was like, I've got to do something, it's... I, I sat down by Brock on the way home. We, we had the uh, opportunity to be able to sit by each other. And I kind of just opened up to Brock and I told him, I said, look, man, uh, you encourage me because I see your progress. And I, I'm at that point right now, Brock, where you say you enjoy going to the gym now and you've made the statements to me that, you know, if I miss going the opportunity to go to the gym, I'm upset with myself. At what point do you get to where that is something that actually started bothering you and, hey, look, I've missed this opportunity. I'm not going to get it back. Yeah, I think it's when you start seeing progress, when you start seeing, okay, I can do this. Because that's that's the hard part. The hard part is getting to a point where you can say or tell yourself, I can do this. And once you get there and you realize, okay, losing weight is possible for me because at, at whenever I first started you know we've heard the term uh gym intimidation right have you ever heard it you've heard that yeah okay it's real it's very real I mean whenever I started I would walk in and I just felt like everybody was looking at me going what's this fat guy doing here what is he doing here like what <laughs> like and then you know there's still that whole thing of Am I doing this right? Like, am I lifting these weights right? Because you know, you don't want to be that guy that somebody's got their their camera out and their or their phone out and they're just watching and they're like, hey, check this dude out. He does not know what he's doing. <laughs> and so I think once you get past that, then it becomes fun. And that's the the learning of you know when you, once you learn different 
exercises and, and how how to to do things, it's more exciting. And then when, once you get to a point where you meet people and right. you know people, and you know, there's the rule: don't talk to people while they're working out. They're there to work out, not to talk. That's not always the truth. There's right. a lot of people that are at the gym to talk. But once you get to a point where you you know people and you get to make you know connections there, it becomes fun to go to the gym. And I, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Our church has a softball team. And what I was completely thrilled with is you brought a couple of guys to our church softball team that you've been going to the gym with. And it's almost like our softball team has almost became a ministry. Absolutely. And, and that is all simply because you got into a depression. Yeah, and, and and through that, he built an unknown connection. Right. The, the, maybe, the, I would assume, whenever you were going to the gym, your primary purpose was to work out, right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't necessarily to, to meet people. That was a benefit of it. Again, it's an unknown connection. Right. Well, and you guys have heard me talk about um, my personality is, you know, I enjoy building relationships. I enjoy... Um, growing relationships with people but starting relationships mm-hmm. is extremely difficult because I'm I am I'm, I'm a very timid person mm-hmm. and in my mind if you want to come talk to me you'll come talk to me right if, if you want to be friends you'll come talk to me and you know that's not that's not a healthy way to be really it's mm-hmm. not a, it's not an effective way to to reach out to people and so no my my thought was not I'm gonna go to the gym. I'm gonna meet people. I'm gonna make connections and <laughs> right. you know. Because when I go to the gym, it's I hope nobody sees me. Yeah. I hope nobody yeah. comes up. That's why I go at eight, eight thirty at night. It works. You know, it works. Yeah. I walk in like my head's down. I need to find this machine. Find find these weights. I need to do this and get out. <laughs> and now I I love going. It's it's really cool because you know I see Gary and Alan there. Uh, I talk to them. It's really cool to see people from the church. So Gary every now and, and Alan is the guys that, that, that yes, play Gary, softball with us. Yes, now. yeah, that's yes. awesome. Um, I get to see, you know, I see Latall from church every now and then. I'll see Latall there and get to talk with him, kind of catch up with him throughout the week. And so it's a it's a great it's a great place to. What a story to, he's got! Oh yeah, absolutely. What a story he's got. Fill us in, uh, Brock, if you would, about Latall's story. Well, Latal is um, Latal is from India, and he uh, grew up in the um, Pentecostal church there in India. And uh, he he come he came here, I believe, to go to school at ASU. And he is a he's an engineer, and I believe he's at Camfield. I can't remember which company he's, he's yeah, with. Camfield. I believe it's Camfield. Um, but uh, you're talking about Sunday. Yeah, Sunday yes. was Sunday was just amazing, amazing that Sunday morning service. But um, I got to talk. I went back just to say say hi to Latall Sunday morning and uh, just see how he's doing. Catch up with him for a minute, and and we had had someone give tongues of interpretation, and uh, he I went back to talk to him, and he said that that lady when she did that thing, I said just great when she when she was given tongues of interpretation, speaking in tongues. He said, yes. He said, I got chills all over my arms. Wow. He said, I want to do that. 
I said, okay, you, you, don't, you don't have the Holy Ghost. He said, I, I think I may have gotten it when I was a little boy, but I haven't done it since. Mm-hmm. And I said, all right. And I, this is, this is my, my small mind working. I looked at him, and I failed. I'll, I, will, I, will, I can admit this. I failed. I looked at him, and I said, all right, let's all, we're going to have a Bible study about this. Mm-hmm. Set it up. Walked off. I walked up to the altar. And I just, it just hit me like, Dude. you're a moron. Dude, what are you doing? What are you doing? So I went and got him, pulled him up there. I pulled pastor up with us, and we prayed with him, and he received the gift of the Holy Ghost wow. that morning. And it was just incredible. And I love uh, the question that he had for pastor. Pastor was talking with him afterwards. This, is, this is my favorite question. Yes, yes. I love it. He, he, pastor asked him, what happened? He said, I received the gift of the Holy Ghost. I spoke in tongues. And he looked at pastor and he said, can I do this at home in <laughs> wow. my room? Wow. wow. Absolutely. And that's what I love about someone who is starting out is, is I was mm. talking with somebody Wednesday night. I said, you know, I've been raised in this. Right. I, I take it for granted that I know I, my, my, my living room, my den, my office, wherever I am, my car is, I can speak in tongues it's there. I, it's, mm-hmm. It doesn't matter where I am. And I love that, that with these, these people that are coming in and, and Latal getting reintroduced to this, it's just, it's amazing and it's exciting and he, he wants to know how often he can speak in tongues. Talk to us about that, the value of that daily connection with God that's like that. And, and let's really focus in on and go in depth on how important it is for us that have been around for a little while not to get so calloused to the moving of the Spirit yeah. and, the, and, and so uh, taking it for granted that the presence of God is there. Uh, let's talk about that for a moment. Well, I think it's, you know, it's extremely easy for us, you know, for, for people like me and both of you who have been raised in church, for us to get to a point where it doesn't affect us. Right. And I can't speak for you two, but I can say for me, growing up, you know, I, I can say I have always gone to church, yeah. but that doesn't mean I was in church. Yeah, I, I would say that's the same testimony. For I, sure. think, I think that's everybody's testimony. I, I think really everybody finds themselves there. And I think it's a, a part of it is, so we have the disadvantage or advantage, however you want to look at it, of we were raised in church. Mm-hmm. Therefore, we watched our parents and their relationship with God. And so many people, that relationship never transfers to their own relationship. Wow. And yeah. that, that is where, you know, we, we see it. We see it all the time. Kids, kids are in our youth groups and they turn 18, they go to college and they're gone. Yeah. We, don't, we don't ever hear from them again. We don't ever see them again. We don't, we don't know what happens. They just fall off. It's because there was a lack of transfer there in their relationship. They never made that relationship with God their own. Mm-hmm. They just held on to mom and dad's relationship with God, and that's, that's not how it works. God wants a relationship with every individual. And so we have to make sure that growing up in the church, we don't become callous to a move of God or the presence of God or take it for granted that we have been able to see that growing up. Right. 
Brock, I want to get um, a little bit more on a personal level with you, if that's okay. Um, how long have you? How long have you been in ministry? Um, how long? When were you first called into ministry? Can do you remember? I remember being twelve years old and talking to my to my grandmother and telling her, "Meanwhile, I feel like I've been called to preach." And that was really the, I said that to her, um, but it was really, you know, we talked about it a little bit and, and I didn't really pursue it after that. Um, a lot of, I, I guess, you know, growing up in a preacher's home, I saw the ups and the downs of it. I saw the, the, the pros and cons of it. And there were times where I was like, I want to be a preacher. And there were times where I was like, I don't want to touch that with a 10-foot pole. Mm-hmm. And I fought with um, feeling like I was self-called, if that makes sense. Right. It does. My, my grandfather is a pastor. My uncle is, is a pastor. My dad is a pastor. And so I would think about it, and I would be like, I want to. I want to be. It's in my blood. Yeah. And I would think, okay, maybe God didn't call me. Maybe this is just something I want to be because I think I should follow in their footsteps. This is what I should do. And I had someone that helped me with that, Brother Burl Crabtree in uh, Benton. He was my pastor in Benton. I brought this to him and I talked to him because even even in Benton, I mean, this was four years ago. I was still dealing with this a little bit. And so I went to him and I talked to him about it. And I said, I, I feel like it's one of those things where I just look at it and say, okay, this is a family tradition. And I don't want to be self-called. I want to know that I'm called by God. And he looked at me and he said, Brock, he said, that's biblical. Mm-hmm. He said, the Levites yeah. were the priests. And it was passed down. It was that tribe. It was that family. Wow. It's, mm-hmm. It is biblical. At what age was, were you at this point? I would have been 25. Mm-hmm. There's a question that I want to follow up with you on this. Um, what is something that you wish you would have known when you first started out in ministry that you know now? So growing up in a pastor's home, being a pastor's son, being a pastor's grandson, um, I knew that ministry was not all about the pulpit. But I do wish that I would have realized, and it wasn't because this wasn't how my grandfather did it. It wasn't because this it wasn't how my father did it. I wish I would have realized that ministry was less task-oriented mm-hmm. and more about relationships. Right. That's, you know, I looked at it and I was like, okay, we, you, you know, I worried a lot about, okay, am I going to be a good preacher? Am I going to be able to, to take care of a church? Can I, can I you know, do everything that needs to be done? And those are all important things. Nobody wants to listen to a terrible preacher. But more important than how well you can preach or, or you know, how great you are at using a plunger is <laughs> relationships. Mm-hmm. Because people, that's what we're figuring out. That's what we're figuring out in our church. People are coming into our church. They're coming to POJ, and they are starving mm-hmm. for 
relationships. It's, it's what they want. It's what they desire. And the thing about it is, is a lot of people that are coming, that are unchurched, they have no idea that they're missing a relationship with God. They just want a relationship. They right. just want a friendship. They just want to know they're loved by someone. And so they come into our churches and we, one, we show them the love of God. And two, we show them that we love them. And I wish I would have had a better understanding of that whenever I first started in ministry. And, you know, my youth group in Russellville, they helped me to learn that. Uh, those, those kids, they didn't care how amazing my Wednesday night Bible study was. They just wanted to go eat with me and Hannah afterwards. Mm-hmm. And that's where, you know, we made those connections. That's where, you know, that's why still today, it, it, I've got a couple guys that they still call me. They still talk to me. We'll, we'll talk back and forth about some things. It's not because I had awesome lessons. They because I know what you talk about. Because I didn't. They couldn't tell you a single, <laughs> a single lesson, a single sermon. They couldn't tell you any of that. But they still will call me and talk to me. And I had one of them, uh, he texts me, and he's now in youth ministry. And he texts me and he asked me, hey, how do you handle um, older students kind of picking on younger students? Mm -hmm. And I said, so you want to know how I handled you? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He's like, yes. Yes, Uh I do. I was like, all right, I can help you with it. And I love that those guys still... You know, they still want to want to have contact with me. They, you know, I'm, I've moved on. I'm gone. They, they're married. They're they're in their own ministry, but they still reach out to me every now and then. And it had nothing to do with the lessons I taught or anything. It was because me and Hannah strive to have a healthy relationship with them. And Amen. that another thing was we were blessed with amazing kids. I mean, our students at, at that church were just awesome and they just were and that made it a whole lot easier that that is so powerful talking about how you wish if you could go back and redo anything is to to know that ministry isn't about so much about individual tasks because there's a lot of myths that we have and that we believe when we first enter into ministry i know that i i believe some things that, that aren't really true like there's myths about uh how ministry, when, when a lot of people think of ministry, they think that ministry is a is pulpit time. As you're saying, it's a task-oriented thing. Right. And there are things that exist out there that people believe and they conceive about ministry. And I'd like to ask you, Brock, what do you think is one of the biggest myths that people believe about ministry that's wrong? Either, And I'm asking it from two different standpoints while you think on that. Either as someone entering into ministry, a myth that a lot of people believe, or from a saint's perspective, when they look at ministry, what is a myth that they sometimes believe about that minister that isn't so? Uh, the easiest one mm-hmm. is that there's money in ministry. Right. That, that uh-huh. you know, I say that jokingly, but still, it, it, it's very true. Like, you, you have to have the right mindset when you decide mm-hmm. that, okay, I've been called by God, and I'm going to answer this call, I'm going to go into ministry. It's, it's not for money. Right. That, you mm-hmm. know, that... That's just not how it is. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, something else you're talking about, you know, what the perspective of the man behind the pulpit is, I, I do believe sometimes that people have the perspective of, man, his life is great. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and our pastor, dad is not a full-time pastor. There's a lot of pastors that, that do. And I've heard it said, what do pastors do? Mm-hmm. They, they wake up on Monday morning, they go golfing, they go fishing, oh, they man. go study. They're, they're for <laughs> eat, eat fried chicken. Yeah. 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 That's not it. That's I, I mean, you, you know, okay, maybe there are some that do, but good ones. But even good if, ones. But even those that are out there golfing on Monday, they're carrying the weight of what happened on Sunday and the text message that was dropped on them at 4 o'clock in the morning that morning. And, and it, Brock, I love getting your insight on this because – you have seen the other side of the pulpit your entire life because of you, because of your dad and because of your grandfather. So it can, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Please no. continue. Well, okay. So my, my grandfather, for instance, I used to, I used to, my grandfather, he, he's always clean shaven, mm-hmm. always. And I used to think it was so weird. And I hope, I doubt he will ever listen to this podcast, but I hope he wouldn't mind me We're saying We're growing an this. audience, Brock. Don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> I told him I was going to be on a podcast, and he said, what's podcast? And I said, well, okay, so let Mark, me explain. So, so let's mark brother. Uh, yeah. <laughs> let's just mark him off right now. Okay. Pierce off. Okay. Um, so this is just an example of, and, and, and he's the only person I know that does this, mm-hmm. but my grandfather shaves before he goes to bed. Mm-hmm. And I tried to forever. I was like, that's so weird. And then I figured out as I've gotten older, y'all, he'll get a phone call at 2 o'clock in the morning. Oh, I need you at the hospital. He didn't have time to shave. And mm-hmm. he, he's not leaving the house without shaving. So he shaves the night before. Something comes up. He can put he's his gone. suit on, and he's gone. That's, you know, he's thinking about that stuff. Right. You know, and that, those things do weigh on you. And I think the, the mindset of, oh, this pastor's got it so easy, or this pastor's just... You know, he just he doesn't have a care in the world. That is false. Brock, let me ask you something. Um, do you ever feel like you're living in, or did you ever feel like you were living in a glass house growing up? Because like Brian said, you, you saw the other side of the pulpit. And I can answer that somewhat. Um, my childhood, my dad was the assistant pastor. So mm-hmm. it was a little less stressful than I could see that you would be. Uh, however, you know, at that at that time where he did take lead pastorship at the church that I was attending, um, he made this statement to me, you know, what you do affects me. Mm-hmm. And I want you to just just give us your side of that. Well, um, so you see you see those those folks that they look at a, a pastor's kid and they hold them to such a high standard. And they look at it and say, well, if this pastor's doing right, then this kid's going to act right. It's not always the case. There are, you know, there are parents that have been amazing parents. They've been the best parents they could be. They've been godly. They've done everything right. And and their kid just decide, ah, I don't feel like doing this, you know. And so for me, living, living in, I never felt like, I lived in a glass house. Um, and I know that may be unfair to say to some people because I know there are some pastor's kids or PKs that feel like they do live in a glass house. Like they don't, they can't go anywhere. Um, and so I never felt like that. We, we've served, my dad has served at churches that were just amazing. And right. so it never really felt like people were just, out to get me or people were trying to prove that I was a bad kid or anything. Um, 
I will say, so I was eating, I was uh, probably, I think I was 16. I'd just gotten, um, just gotten my driver's license and I went to eat at, with a, with a group um, there in Greenwood and um, I was pulling out of the driveway and I hit the gas real hard and I squealed. I was driving dad's truck at that time. I squealed his tires Uh-oh. and <laughs> went on. I get home and mom and dad weren't there. They were, they were, not, they weren't even around. They were already home. I got home that night and I walk in the door and dad looks at me and says, why are you squealing my tires? <laughs> I'm like, what is, what, how, you, you weren't even there. And the, somebody had texted him and said, Brock was really ready to get home. He was squealing his tires before he, and you know, they, I don't know about you, but I could live without those people. They, they meant it jokingly. And, you know, I didn't get in trouble, but Dad, he, he was like, hey. And, you know, his mindset was, those cost money. Don't burn them. And, uh, but, you know, there, there were those things. And, you know, as a teenager, oh, it just burnt me up. I'm like, don't, don't tell my dad what I'm doing. I didn't really mm-hmm. mean to do that. You know, all that stuff. But uh, for the most part, I, you know, we did. We, we served amazing churches, and I never felt like, People were just watching me, waiting for me to mess up. Because I know there are a lot of people that do feel like that. It's it's just, you know, people are just watching a, a preacher's kid, and they're just waiting for him to mess up. They're just looking for something to complain about. Right. Um, and, you know, because it doesn't matter if you look at members of a gym, members of a church, members of the Krispy Kreme Club, it doesn't matter what kind of member you look for. There are going to be people who are just looking for something to complain about. And unfortunately, sometimes uh, the PKs are where they find the thing they can complain about. Um, But I think, you know, as for me in my experience, like I said, the people that we served with and, and, you know, ministered to were just, they were awesome. Brock, I want to ask you something real quick. The Pentecostals of Alexandria is uh, pastored by Anthony Mangan and his son Gentry. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whenever someone hears the POA, they think Anthony Mangan, G.A. Mangan. Very rarely do you hear somebody say, oh, that's Pastor Gentry Mangan, mm-hmm. you know. Um, my question to you would be, what advice could you give someone who needs to grow their ministry that is looked at as the pastor's kid? Well, first of all, there is nothing wrong with being the pastor's kid. Right. And I'm not saying that from a point of people calling someone a pastor's kid. I'm saying that for the pastor's kids. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with someone saying, hey, this is our pastor's kid. I'm, I'm the assistant pastor of, of POJ. I've been here for three years and, you know, there are still people who introduce me to someone. I'll, I'll, I'll go out to meet a visitor and I'll say, this is Brock. This is our pastor's son. Mm-hmm. The last thing I'm going to do is go, I'm the assistant pastor. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Rec- recognize. No, yeah. there's nothing wrong. That's exactly who I am. I mm-hmm. am the pastor's son. And, you know, they're, they're, they're not lying. They're not lying. <laughs> no, they're not lying. There's nothing wrong with that. And so, so for, you know, one of the first things I would say is, don't be ashamed of that. 
Right. Don't don't be you know don't hang your head on that. There's nothing wrong with that. You, you I look at that and guys, I've been blessed. I've been given opportunities because I was the pastor's son, and because of that, you know, I get. I won't brag a little bit. You know, when Morton Bustard comes to our church, I get to hang out with him. Mm-hmm. When BJ Thomas comes to our church, I get to spend time with him. When when you know, I've been blessed to be the pastor's son, mm-hmm. and you know. And there, there are things, you know, people look at it and go, oh, well, that kid gets everything because he's the pastor's son. And, you know, there's a fine line that you have to walk there. But when you look at it, you know, I'm proud to be the son of Daryl Runyon. Right. Mm-hmm. I am, absolutely. He, I, you know, he's a good guy. Yeah. Yeah. And, well, yeah. I, I, go ahead, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> he is, let's clarify. Yeah, we love him. He's yeah. all of our pastors. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Man, that, uh, so, Brock, let me ask you this. Uh, to the minister that is just getting their start, and even to those that have been around the church for a while, can you talk to me about the biggest hurt you have felt that has come from a saint? That's a deep question. That is a deep question. The biggest hurt that I have felt. All right, so I can't really think of a, a specific incident or anything mm-hmm. like that. Um, but, you know, the, the, the deepest hurt, I don't know, something that would kind of get to me was, you know, feeling like someone looked at me and said, he doesn't deserve this, mm-hmm. or he didn't earn this. He was just given this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's something that can can rattle you a little bit, is yeah. when you're trying to serve in a position and you feel like people look at you and say, you, you didn't really earn this. Mm-hmm. There's, there's one reason that you're in this place. And so... You know there are there's there's those situations now. Um, as far as I know, you know coming coming back to to POJ, I don't feel like anybody has felt that way or anything like that. Um, and I haven't felt that from anyone. Uh, if if that was the case, then they did a good job of me not finding out because I haven't felt that way at all. Um, but I feel like you know. People looking at you like you don't, you didn't earn what you have, mm-hmm. um, because you know Tony, you know, being a PK or growing up as a PK, it's a lot of work. Um, you know, when I'm sure that you had those situations where your friends were outside playing football and you were putting chairs away, yeah. or you were running a vacuum cleaner, or, or I was mowing the churchyard while all my friends went to to a Holiday World amusement park. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. And so, you know, there are things that, that PKs do that people don't see. Right. And it's not, you know, it's not about being seen. It, it's, you know, I, I love what I'm doing now because I get to be a part of things and pastor gets to be out front. Dad gets to be out front. I love, you know, I love doing things for the church and nobody knowing that I had anything to do with it. Pastor did. That was yeah. pastor's idea. Pastor, you know, he, he, he gave me the ability to do it, but that's pastor's. And I, I love, you know, working behind the scenes like that. And I think it, you know, it comes from, you know, 
picking up chairs, nobody saw it, putting chairs out, nobody saw it, you know, whatever, whatever it was. And, you know, that it's a great way to, to build that. Right. Yeah. The thing you do in secret, it will be rewarded openly. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let me follow up with on the same line of questioning, because there is a segment of our audience that is entering into ministry, is in ministry, has been in ministry. But there's also a segment of our audience that, uh, as far as pulpit ministry, uh, there's also a segment of our congregate of our podcast listeners that are would they would just kind of consider themselves as members of the church, maybe Sunday school teachers. And there are people out there that have been hurt by ministry. We just asked about the minister being hurt by the saint. Mm-hmm. Have you felt hurt from the ministry to connect with those saints that have been hurt by a previous minister? Have you felt a disappointment towards a leader that's been in your life? Absolutely. Um, you know, the thing to think about is ministers are men. Mm-hmm. Men make mistakes. They do. Men fail. And if you, that's a dangerous place to, to put a, a man on such high a pedestal to say, you know, he's without fault or mm-hmm. he, he can't. No, men are, are men. You know, ministers, they're human beings. They make mistakes. They make poor decisions. And, you know, for someone who has been hurt, you know, m- what I would want to say is not every minister is perfect, but not every minister is bad. Mm-hmm. Not every minister is, you know, a, a single minister is not the, a rep- representation of the whole. Right. And, you know, we, we see it, you know, we see it today, uh, you know, in society with, with police officers. That's a big deal. You know, yeah, there are some there are some officers out there that have made some really bad decisions. And, they, mm-hmm. you know, there are some officers out there that are really bad people. But, man, there are some amazing people. If mm-hmm. it wasn't for them. Exactly. Yeah. And the same goes with, you know, there... There are there are men who who hold a position who take advantage of that and it's wrong and, mm-hmm. and it does it hurts people and it affects people and it you know it, it shapes their life sometimes but that person is is not a representation of the whole because guys I know I know a lot of ministers I've had an opportunity to, to be close to a lot of ministers and the large majority are amazing men of God. Mm-hmm. There are some that you, you can question it sometimes, right. but man, there are some amazing men of God out there that truly their heart is to help people. And you know, I don't believe that anyone sets out in ministry with I'm I'm here to hurt somebody. Yeah, I'm here to I'm here to to you know to harm someone physically or emotionally or, or however. But it happens. It, it takes place because, you know, every, every person, every minister, not every minister, but some ministers, they find themselves in a place where they do make a poor decision. Or maybe, you know, maybe they're dealing with a lot of life stress and someone caught them at a really difficult time and they, you know, said something that was, was hurtful or harmful or something like that. And... You know, for for me, that's one thing that 
you know, I've, I've always said is I don't ever want to be the reason someone won't come to church. And I, I strive, you know, talking about relationships earlier, I want, not everybody's going to like me. I, yeah. I don't, you know, I can't, you can't go through life going, oh, everybody's going to like me. It's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. But I want everyone that I'm come in contact with to know that I love them and I respect them. I'm so glad you're bringing that up because I was going to follow up and want to talk about, have you in the ministry felt like, I handled that so wrong, and I I hurt that person, and and how you wrestle with that, and how you overcome that, because I I have a very limited experience, but I know your dad put a lot of trust in me over a, a particular department here in the church, and I didn't know what I was doing, and I didn't know how to work as part of a team, and I felt like I handled that situation so wrong, and I every time and the people that I worked with, I see them here in this church. I'm overcome with regret over the way I handled being a part of a team. So I know I personally, and it's been a couple of years, I feel the pressure of, I can't believe I was so immature or I did things wrong. And so, Brock, I want to get your story. Do you feel like there's ever been a time that you have messed up? And how do you correct that? What is the remedy? Absolutely. I mean, you know, first of all, I've I've been in ministry since I was, you know, I would say I was 20, 20 years old, uh, 19, 20 years old. And I mean, guys, if you look back at yourself at 19, 20, 21 years old, uh, it's probably not your most proud moments in life. (laughs) It's not when you made the best decisions. It's not when you were, you know, um, the most successful in life. Mm -hmm. You, you probably look back at yourself and go, man, you were dumb. I I do. I look back at myself. I'm like, bro, you were dumb. I feel it all the time. What were you thinking? (laughs) You do. And so, you know, I did, I started out in ministry really young and, you know, one of the worst parts about, 18, 19, 20-year-old guys is you know everything Yeah, in your mind. I did. You don't know I, anything. Hard no, you don't know anything. You don't have, and that's something, you know, I'm 29 now, and I right now, I feel like I'm in a place where I, I don't have the experiences of life, yeah. but I realize that I don't have the experience. It's like life. when you're 15 in high school and you look at the seniors and all the seniors have beards and they look like they have full-time jobs on the <laughs> side. Yeah. And you're just like, man, they are so mature. And now when you're in your late 20s, you're like, man, those were just kids at 18. Yeah, exactly. And I can only imagine what it's like whenever you're middle age because you're looking back at us and being like, they still don't have a clue. Yeah, and that's one of those things that I deal with is, you know, I have the opportunity to teach the adult class mm-hmm. on Wednesday nights a lot. And I look at these people that are, you know, they're, they're seasoned. They've, they've been through life. They've, you know, they've done all this. And I'm thinking, what can I tell them right. that they don't already know? And yeah. I want to, re- I want to like, just say, brother Taylor, will you come up and teach this lesson yeah. tonight? Because you have so much more experience <laughs> yeah. than I, and that's one thing, man. The people of this church, they, they're so kind to me because I know I get up and I stumble over my words and all this stuff. And Brother Taylor, Wednesday night, he came up to me and said, man, Brock, you, 
you get better every time. Now, I understand what he's saying. Is Man, that was rough, but it was better than last time. <laughs> but no, but, you know, with that experience. So going back to your question, right? how do you remedy that? One, you, you can't go back and undo it. It's already done. You can't. Now, you learn from it. That's okay. one thing that I have, I have tried to do in my life is learn from my mistakes. Because if I can learn from my mistakes it wasn't as bad as it could have been. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've tried so hard to learn from my mistakes. And um, Brother Bobby Harkin, he, we were talking uh, not too long ago. Y'all had him on. And we were talking about me as a teenager. And so he knew me from camp. He watched me play ball. And I, I love how he describes me because it's better than anything else, but he would say that I had a lot of focused passion when it came to sports. Now, what he's really saying is I was a hothead that would lose my temper. That's, <laughs> that's a that's, way to say that. That's what he's saying. <laughs> you know, that, that focused passion, no, I was just a hothead and I'd lose my temper. And that is something that uh, I dealt with a lot. Um, I, I grew up, you know, man, I grew up with a, an amazing family. Uh, my dad would always joke with me, though, and he would, he would always say that I was so serious as a kid. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was. And I don't know, you know, nothing, nothing happened in my life. No, you know, I, I did. I, I grew up in a great home. I had a great experience as a kid. You know, nothing, nothing happened. But I had, a, I had a temper, and I dealt with... Um, some anger in my life growing up and I never quite could like figure out like what it was but I had to realize that you know having having a temper flying off the handle getting mad at things um, was really affecting me personally spiritually in in ministry and I had to get to a point where it's like okay you have to get control of yourself. Mm-hmm. And I don't really know. I can't take you to a moment where I said, this is it. Um, but, you know, I, I do. I strive to, you know, because just because I'm, I'm dealing with, with my, my temper, my frustrations or whatever, doesn't mean they go away. Right. It's how you handle them. And so, you know, I strive to, you know, especially here at the church, I don't want anybody to see me upset. Mm-hmm. I don't want anybody to see me frustrated. And my dad tells me, Brock, you can't hide anything. You're, it all shows up on your face. And so I, you know, I don't, I don't want to be that way. But that was something that I had to deal with because going back to your question, if, if I didn't get control of it, I would be one of those ministers that just blew up on somebody and, and would hurt would be hurt. And yes. that's the opposite of what we're called to do as ministers. Well, I'm glad Brian brought that up because um, you've alluded to it a couple of times here tonight about how your youth group at different churches that your dad did not pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, you, when your dad took over pastoralship here in Jonesboro, uh, you were at Bible college, correct? I During was. that time. I was. And you came, you left Bible college early. Um, correct me at any time if I, if I get your story wrong. Um, you came to Jonesboro. You left school early. Came to, came to Jonesboro. Uh, 
Uh, your dad wanted you a part of what was happening here. We were, we were a part of a, a, a tremendous revival when your dad first got here. And you left. Um, and Brock, while you were gone, um, and something changed in you. Because when you came back, it's almost like you were a different person. Um, I'm getting I'm getting personal. I apologize for that. But um, can, what or who helped you grow in your journey when you left before you came back home? Because when you came back home, you are a different person. I mean, I know with we didn't really connect when you were first here. Right. And I think I take a lot of accountability for that because I, I'm a very standoffish person, kind of like you alluded to. I'm the uh, same way. But, I mean, I, hopefully we've all grown a little bit. Yeah, but uh, Absolutely. But, I mean, it's, it, it is apparent that there has been a de- definite growth. Right. And, and I'm wondering with Tony, not just the people that have had their hand in your life and been molding you, but I know you were a part of uh, two churches, I believe, before you came back to the PLJ. It was there one of those churches that really made an impact, or what was the impact that both of those churches had? Absolutely. Well, um, going to be the, the the student pastor at POR um, Pentecostal Russellville. Um, that I was thought a, you got confused for a second because I was I was like, "Whoa, POR!" It's like, where the, "Okay, let me, yeah." So Pente- many yeah. POs. There's, there's yeah. so many. They're they're everywhere, uh, everywhere. Um, the Pentecostals of Russellville, you know the. And that's something that I can I can say is those kids, those students, mm-hmm. they taught me a lot. And like I said earlier, you know, they they helped teach me as as much as it was my responsibility to to be their student pastor and try to teach them, they taught me so much in it's about relationships. Um, and then, you know, I I went to I went from there to Benton. Um, ended up getting a job in Little Rock. Me and Hannah moved to Little Rock. We ended up going to church at Benton at Brother Burl Crabtree's church. And I had numerous conversations um, with Brother Crabtree about, you know, he, he was, he's at a church that his father was the pastor. He's now the pastor. And his son at that time was the student pastor mm-hmm. of, of Benton. Um, and so, you know, he kind of... He kind of he knew not kind of he knew what it was like to be in you know he he was once the assistant pastor of that church and, mm-hmm. and he he talked about his time leaving he left he went to another church he, he ended up pastoring a church for a while coming back that sort of stuff and we talked about the importance of that um, you know I think one of the first things I learned and one of the best things I learned was not everyone worked like Dad did. Not everyone, you know, worked that way. And so it, it helped me to get to a point where I could, you know, work with different leadership styles because, you know, uh, Brother Reynolds in Russellville had a different leadership style than my dad. Brother Crabtree in Benton had a different leadership style than Brother Reynolds and my dad. And so I had to adapt to get to a place where I could work with these different ministers because it wasn't their place or their job to adapt to my, to, you know, to where I could serve under them. It was my job to step up to my leadership where I could serve under them, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I had to figure out their leadership styles. And one thing that I love about Brother Crabtree is, is we had lots of conversations and, but he was always, he was always kind he was always loving. 
but he was direct. Mm-hmm. And in one of those conversations, this, this is just a, a side note, we were talking, and he said, what books are you reading? And I said... Mm, don't want to ask. Um, <laughs> none. Mm. And he said, Brock, he said, if you're not reading, you're not learning anything. And this is mm-hmm. besides the Bible. But he, he did. He just... He wasn't, he wasn't mean. He wasn't... He was just very straightforward. If you're not reading, you're not learning anything. There's not a lot of wiggle room there, not a lot of gray area there. No. It's pretty direct. You know, I work well in that. That's why, you know, that was, me and Brother Crabtree, we got along great. And because he was, he was just direct. And, you know, there was a, there was a time where, uh, okay, so I, I worry about people, what they think about me. And I am, okay, so we've talked about I do I, I, I did I've dealt with it but I had had anger issues I, I was very frustrated with things or angry with things whatever but I'm not a confrontational person I, I, I don't handle confrontation I, this is the last thing I want mm-hmm. and so um, I would steer away from things that I thought would cause confrontation and it's one of those mental games that that or one of those games that my mind would play on me. But, for instance, we were there, and Brian Crabtree was, was the student pastor. Now, me and, me and Brian, we've grown up together. We've been friends for a long time. And there, there was nothing that should make me feel this way. But we were in the altars, and I was standing next to students, and my, mind, my mindset was, man, you just got here to this church you don't need to pray with them because Brian might think you're trying to take over the youth group. And so Brother Crabtree, he did. We had a conversation and he said, Brock, why aren't you praying with people in the altar? And that's what, he was very straightforward. There was no, you know, and again, he was kind, he was loving in what he was doing. And I told him, I I told him why, and I, I made sure that I said, Brian hasn't done or said anything to make me feel this way. It's just something that, mm-hmm. that I'm dealing with. And he looked at me and he said, that's an excuse. Mm-hmm. And it's a lousy one. Wow. And what, what he taught me was in that situation is you can talk yourself out of anything. But when you just allow your mind to play games with you, it's, it's just an excuse. And sometimes it can, be, it can be out of laziness, it can be out of fear, whatever it is, but... It's just an excuse. When you right. know what you're supposed to do, do it. Don't make an excuse. Don't let, you know, and that's what I was doing. I was putting it off on somebody else and basically blaming someone else, even though I, you know, trying to make sure that I didn't. It was an excuse. Right. That was something that he taught me is don't make excuses. Mm-hmm. You're called to be a minister. Minister to people. Mm. Don't make excuses on why you shouldn't. And that's something, you know, that, that I've figured out is when was the last time that the devil said, hey, you should go pray with them? Never. Never. And, you know, we deal with that. I know because I deal with it myself is I'll look across our, our, our congregation and I'll feel you should go pray with them. And the very next thing is... Mm, they're all the way over there. By the time you get over there, they're probably not gonna 
be praying anymore? By the time you get, do you even know why you're going to pray for them? And all these questions come up and they're just excuses on how to talk yourself out of doing what God has called you to do. And that's what we do. Our minds can play games on us and we cannot allow ourselves to talk us out of or make excuses to get out of doing what God has called us to do. That's very Yeah, good. let's talk about excuses a little more. Tony, can you think of some excuses to bring you into the conversation here? What are some big excuses people use as a crutch? Man, I, I'm going to tell on myself. <laughs> okay. The biggest thing I've always worried about was what will other people think? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a big one. What, what you, it really is. Mm-hmm. You know, there's been times where... Um, I'm getting a little emotional right here, but there's some times where, or there was a time where <clears throat> me and my wife was sitting by each other in church, and I believe it was Sister Carter that um, was, we, we, had, we had a service that was had such a powerful move of God, and I was standing there, and I was just more or less wondering, you know, what am I going to do after church? And Sister Carter stood up and began to shout, and I was like, hold on, hold on. What's going on at church that I'm missing? I look over at one of our senior saints that is one of the most precious women that you could ever meet. And she is receiving her blessing while I'm wondering what I'm going to do after church. And that spirit that was on Sister Carter that night caught hold of my wife and caught hold of myself. And I vowed to myself from that very day forward that that kind of mindset would not overtake me again and you know I was so worried about what other people would think if I really expressed myself like Sister Carter was and I really like Brian just said I really think that's one of the biggest excuses that an apostolic person can have so do you ever wrestle with the feeling that if I take this step then I'm everybody's just going to see it that Oh, he's doing it for this purpose. I, I don't. I don't feel like that would be the case. It would more or less be. I saw the attitude he had last Sunday. Why is he doing this now? Or I saw how right. he was talking yeah. to somebody yeah. this morning. Yeah, why, like why is his motive? Yeah. What's his motive? Who is yeah. he? You know, and that is just, that's something that I, I can I can genuinely say that you know I, I would personally yeah. struggle. With I've, I, I have too. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I think everybody. I think everybody deals with that because. You know, we we allow what people think of us to shape. You think about it, okay? When you pick out your clothes in the morning, who are you? Who are you getting dressed for? FedEx. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, we we have to get to a point where just use clothes for an example. You don't get dressed for somebody else. Right. Wear what you like. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, what makes you comfortable? And, you know, that's one of those things where, same thing in the church. When when you're, when God asks you to do something, you're working to please Him. You're not working to please everybody else. Well, you because know, that's, that's almost, I'm not going to use the word cliche because it's not, but that is something that everybody always says, you're not doing it to please other people, but sometimes that pride is such a hard wall to climb. Absolutely. It is. And if there's, there is almost no answers for why people feel that way. Mm-hmm. You know, could you imagine if somebody, if, 
if a church congregation of our size, which we're running a couple hundred, mm-hmm. 225, 230, somewhere in there, mm-hmm. could you imagine if everybody came in with a mindset of, I don't care what people think, I'm coming to church for this purpose, this reason, could you imagine the revival we would have? Absolutely. I don't know what you came to do. There, there it is. I can't say. <laughs> this, is, this is what I love is, you know, we, I do, I feel like people's mindset changes throughout a service. And so, like last Sunday, that mindset of, I don't care what anybody else thinks. I need something from God. Uh, define it, what happened uh, last Sunday for those that may not have been here. Let, let me let me say what happened last Sunday, if okay. you guys don't mind. Because yeah. we had a visitor at our church that I go to work with. And I, I am telling on myself this whole podcast. And the first thing I worried about was, great, we have a guest evangelist who is going to blow the roof off this place. This dude is a very excited evangelist. He'd be great to have on the podcast sometime. We should get him on the podcast sometime. I think I think you should make that happen. I think we're going to talk to him tomorrow. I think we are. <laughs> but anyway, Brother Hodges was with us, and uh, guess what he preached about? Praise and worship. Yeah. And our church responded, and all... All I kept doing was... And you know how they say that teaching is telling and preaching is yelling? He preached about <laughs> praise and worship. Y'all, yeah, I, 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 I just... I kept catching myself looking back at the guy that I go to work with, hoping this didn't scare him, didn't mm-hmm. freak him out. We had tongues and interpretation. We yep. had folks running the aisles. We had people shouting. Uh, and... Good old carnal me was more worried about what he thought about my image on Monday than actually partaking in the service. But you want to talk about a powerful service. It it absolutely was. And, you know, I do. I feel like our church got to the point where, you know, they said, I don't don't care what anybody thinks. I need something from God. I need a blessing or I need, you know, some some restoration in my family. I need a move of God on my behalf, and I'm going to worship Him for it now, like it's already taken place. And that's what we saw take place Sunday morning. And man, it was just it was so so powerful. Yes. And you know, that's what I want. And I kind of touched on it Sunday night. Is I hope that I hope that that is a mentality. I hope that is a a, a foundation that we can build upon. And you know, that we don't just let it slide by and, and just be another good Sunday that we right. talk about forever, but it mm-hmm. becomes the foundation that we build on from there. Yeah, and for services like that to happen, that hurdle of the excuse of what others think of me has got to be moved. But I want to also point out, and because Tony's told on himself, I'll tell on myself, there's another hurdle that we face sometimes. And it's the excuse of what we think of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Because I know in my personal life, there are times, especially when it comes to altar calls, where the excuse I give myself is, what do you have to offer that person? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I heard Terry Schock preach at one time, and, and, and he was talking about pulpit ministry. And he said, it is pride that won't say anything, if you can't say it right. Wow, 
And there are sometimes that we can think in our minds, and I know with me personally, that I can think, I don't even know what to say to that person. What in the world could I say to this person who has no apostolic context coming into the service? How can I, in the matter of the 30 seconds I have to pray with them until they get weirded out, is what's going on in my mind, what can I say to them to get them connected? And I tell myself, it's impossible. And so what have I just done? I have built a wall between me and the ability to minister. And that is such a hurdle that I have to overcome. I understand that completely. I do. There's another, I want to go on almost like a subtitle of what you were just talking Mm -hmm. about. And that is of yourself, thinking about yourself. Sometimes it's, I don't feel like I could respond to a sermon because I don't want to pray, but the preacher nailed exactly on the head what I was dealing with. And I don't want to go up to that altar, and I don't want to raise my hands because then everybody's going to know that's what I'm struggling yeah. with. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I believe all three of us have been in that boat before. <laughs> that's where you, you do. You have to look at it and go, okay, what is more important? Is, is it more important for, for me to get this right in my life? Is, is, or is it more important for everybody to think that I've got everything situated just the way it's supposed to be. Right, right. So, Brock, um, I want to ask you a question. We're not going to go deep into this. This is something that I know is very personal to you, so I don't want to jump into it. But your dad, when he's preaching, he he goes back to a story. I've heard him tell it a couple times. He doesn't go into it. We're not going to go into it um, out of respect for you and your family. Uh, but he goes into a story whenever you were growing up, you were obviously dealing with something. And um, what that is, it's none of our business. That's between you and your family. Um, but he told he would tell that at, there was a point in, in that situation where just praying for you as his son was not enough. That he actually went to your bedroom, laid across your legs, and prayed for you and refused to let the devil have control of that situation. Let me ask you, what does that mean to you? It means, it means everything. Um, to, to know, and, and really, to be honest with you, I, I, whenever he was talking about that, I don't remember. He didn't wake me up. I, I don't remember that at all. Um, I feel like, you know, we talked about earlier, uh, you know, I've always gone to church, but I had times in my life where I, I wasn't in church, and we've all been there. I, I feel like that was probably one of those situations where I was, you know, being a hard-headed teenager that was, you know, being rebellious and, and all this stuff. Um, but it means so much to know that your your dad is praying for you. Because we hear ministers talk about prayer all the time, and and. But to know, you know, I got to see it. And because that's not, you know, I told you, it didn't wake me up, but I heard my dad's prayers. I I remember hearing him pray in our house. I remember, you know, being around whenever he was praying. And to know that that was going on was so powerful. It taught me how to pray. It taught me how to go before the Lord in situations because you know that is not the only time that I've I've you know that he's he's prayed that way but there are there that's how I learned 
where to go to spiritual battle. And we, we talk about that around but it, there are times where you just, you, you're going to go into spiritual battle. And that is not something that, you know, you just learn, like you just know it has to be taught. It has to be, you, do. you know, you have to go through, you know, times of where experience is how you learn it. And lucky for me, I had a dad who prayed. I had a grandfather who prayed. I remember growing up, I would spend summers with my, my grandparents a lot. And uh, I remember just literally just following my grandpa around in his church while he just walked around and prayed. Mm-hmm. And those experiences helped to shape me. And, you know, I feel like those are the things that, you know, they put into me that I had a love for prayer, a love for the word, a love for a relationship with God. And in those times, like you were talking about, Tony, when when I wasn't making the right decisions, I had things built into me that helped me to come out of that or helped That's me so to good. realize that I wasn't doing right or living right or I wasn't in a place in a healthy place in my relationship with God. And because I had those examples in front of me, I, I was able to, or God was able to get my attention, wake me up and put me on the right track. What Brock, that is so crucial to be able to make those right decisions and to have the things that's in your life to help you to know what is right and, and, and what is what is wrong. Because we are all faced with different options and different paths that we can we can go on you know when you look at the animal kingdom you have uh like the caterpillar it instinctively knows how to when it's time for transitions Mm -hmm. it already has that decision made but with with us as human beings sometimes making a transition or making a decision it's not so natural i mean there are things that we it's kind of obvious some things are right the right decision but how do you distinguish what is right and what is wrong when when both seem to have a positive outcome but one's the will of god and one's just a good opportunity how do we distinguish between what is good and what is god that is that's a great question and um i wish there was someone here that had more experience that could answer that for us but no but but you but you but you've been through different transitions it's it's okay so you're going back to the animal kingdom the 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 caterpillar knows what to do It, it knows how to create the cocoon and and come out of that and all that stuff it knows that's where and and i said this in in our adult class i've said it a couple times growing up no one had to teach me how to lie. Yeah. When I was a little kid and I did something wrong, nobody had to teach me how to try to get out of whatever I had done. But I, I remember, I remember the first time that I lied to my mom and the last time that I lied to my mom. <laughs> because uh, she... Do we need she, to go back and teach her yeah. <laughs> How far back was this? She, she taught me that you don't lie. And, you know, it, nobody had to teach me that, oh, I can try to get out of this. But I guarantee you that that whipping taught me you don't do that. <laughs> so same thing goes into our decision making with, with, with our relationship with God and spiritual things. We have to be taught. 
And, you know, that's why it's so important for, you know, people, and I don't have kids, and so I, I, I don't ever, I, I try, I don't try, I don't have any experience with kids to say, oh, you need to raise your kids like this. But I know what my parents did. I know what my family did. I know a little bit about what Jim and Sandy did for Hannah and how, you know, I feel like we turned out as pretty good human beings. Uh, but, you know, they taught us things. And one of the things that my family has, has taught me is you listen for the voice of God. And sometimes that voice, sometimes the, the will of God is not what you think is in your best interest. Because I, guys, we, we all know we've had things where we had plans. We knew how it was going to work out. We knew how this, how every situ, how every little piece was going to work out, and this situation was going to go great, and it just gets rocked by the will of God, and it's nothing Amen. like what we intended for it to be. But we see it, and if we'll continue to follow the will of God, when it comes to the end, we'll look back and go, "Man, my my plan was rubbish compared right. to to what God had in front of me," and it, it's hard to decipher through those things something that that I think is so very important for anyone in ministry or anyone coming into the church it, it doesn't matter if you are a minister or if you want nothing to do with ministry you need a voice in your life mm-hmm. and you know I have I have men in my life who I say have veto power mm-hmm. if I've made a decision, and I call Ron Patrick, and I tell him, Brother Ron, this is what I'm thinking. I think this is what I'm going to do. And he says, that's not the will of God, Brock. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. I'm done. I'm not, I'm not moving forward with my plan because we, we have to, every person has to have someone in their life who they look to. I'm not saying that you have to have someone in your life that you, you run every you know, you don't have to call them and go, "Hey, where should I, what's the will of God for my lunch plans today?" Right. <laughs> yeah. That's that's not what I'm talking about. But you know, before before I made moves mm-hmm. in my life, before I made big moves in my life, I had conversations with Brother Ron Patrick, and we talked about it. And he prayed with me, and he fasted with me because you need someone like that in your life. Yeah, and you get, everybody's got to need, especially if you want to be a minister. I'm sorry to just jump in, no, but you, you, it's something that I'm trying to strive for and, and find a because I, I, I want many people I can look up to, and so I'm right now I'm praying and, and seeking to build those kinds of relationships because I know with me I want to have someone that can hold me accountable. Mm-hmm. But when you do that. Accountability is only as good as you make it. Mm-hmm. And seeking someone's advice is only as good as you're going to be willing to submit. Yep. I want to kind of follow up on Brian's question. Um, a lot of people um, believe that ministry is challenging to the point it becomes overwhelming mm-hmm. and too much to handle at points. Why do you think people believe that, Rob? I think a, a big part of that, well, I think the reason people believe that is because it can be true. Yeah. Um, I think that 
it can become overwhelming and it is challenging. I mean, you think about it. You're dealing with people. People are challenging. I mean, it doesn't matter what profession you work in. If you deal with people on a regular basis, you go home upset sometimes. You have bad days. Mm -hmm. And in ministry, your life is people. And, And you think about it. You know, let's say there's a minister who, all right, so Sunday night, he gets done preaching and somebody is waiting for him at the bottom of the steps of the, of the platform. Mm-hmm. And they said, I need to talk to you. Yeah. They go to their office. He, I mean, he's wore out. He preached Sunday morning. He preached Sunday night. And now they're stepping, you know. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Just real quick. One thing that blew my mind whenever I first started preaching is how draining, just like that it is from the time you get done preaching Absolutely. until the time you make it to like the first pew. Yeah, your dad said not too long ago that if if you've preached what God's laid on your heart, you're yeah. drained. That's yeah. why I only I, preach like 10 minutes. Yeah, I mean, I, I know for me, the weakest I feel just about physically is whenever I get down, I just Absolutely. I just feel so drained. And so that's that's probably the worst time in the world for anybody to catch you to try and be like, we got to talk right now because exactly. you are zapped. Exactly. And, or at and, least I've always had been. No, and, and that's that's very true. And okay, so that's that's one thing. Like on Sunday mornings, I try uh, Sunday. You know, pastor preaches almost every Sunday morning around here. I try my hardest to keep everything off of his desk on Sunday mornings, yeah. and then you know, Sunday morning before service and Sunday morning after service, I try to head everybody off and and I try to keep everything off of his desk off of his plate that day because that you know his focus is on the word of God and what God's dealing with him on talking in talking about and so going back to this you know can it be overwhelming absolutely because you think about it A, a man has preached Sunday morning he's preached Sunday night and somebody's standing at the bottom of the stairs waiting on him going we need to talk okay so you got that they they lay out whatever they're dealing with pastors and ministers like i said their their life is people and they care about people and so whatever this person needed to talk to them mm-hmm. talk to him about that that weighs on them that weighs on that man of god that weighs on that minister so he has that well before he gets home he gets a text message and there's a couple in the church that are needing counseling. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, so he, he's he's worried about that. He's worried sick about them. What, what's going so on? So real world. Yeah. Well, and then you have to take into account what is he dealing with? What mm-hmm. is, what you know? What what does what does everybody around him not know? Mm-hmm. You know what situations is he dealing with in his family? What what doctor's appointment is he waiting to hear back from that? Nobody knows about right now what you know, there's always those things, you know Some ministers and it we're blessed that we don't have to worry about this But there are some ministers that they don't know if they're gonna be able to pay a light bill for their church They don't know if they're gonna, you know, they don't know if they're gonna be able to keep the doors open that that alone is So heavy and so stressful and then you add on, you know, the problems of everyone else in the church and yes, it can become overwhelming. Right. And 
that's why, uh, you know, that's something, that's why the relationships with other ministers mm-hmm. is so important. Yes. Um, not everybody knows this, but something that our pastor does is he, he's just started calling people, calling other ministers in the state. And the conversations that he is having, he's got guys telling him, thank you. I just needed to talk to somebody today mm-hmm. because they, and it's not that they're, you know, telling him about their church problems or people in their church or anything like that. They just needed to know that somebody cared about them. They just needed to know just that somebody was, had them on their mind to right. know that, you know, they can talk about their life issues, you know, what, yeah. what they're dealing with, not necessarily what their church members are dealing with. They don't get into that stuff, but right. you know, and knowing they're not alone. Exactly. That there's still a body out there they can get strength from. Exactly. This this uh, Pastor Runyon guy, he seems like a kind of guy we might have to have on the podcast. He seems like a pretty good old guy. Yeah. <laughs> He's decent. He's decent. Uh, Brog, I am so glad that you took the time to come and talk to us tonight. Uh, tying in something we talked about early on that I was thinking of, and what an honor and what a blessing it is that that you have had the privilege to have the heritage that you've had. Uh, as Brother Crabtree uh, alluded to about how the, the priesthood was something that was passed down through the generations, I was something that I was recently thinking of about how uh, the medieval times, how kings, the authority of the king passed down to their sons and how... Uh, even in Bible times, David's throne passed down to his son. It is biblical. It's something that's even historical. That that family legacy, that family line passes down. And and don't ever let anybody try and break you down from that. Because that ministry that's been given to you is a God-given ministry. And it doesn't matter what your parenthood is. You're, you were blessed to be in a home where it's like there's a special blessing that comes into that. And so I, I thank God for, for what he's doing in your life, the journey that he's taking you on, the things that he's allowing you to take part in here in this church. And I want to give you a, a chance as we get close to the end here tonight to, to ask someone that has had this special call of God placed on their life, and special direction from the Lord that has been a family blessing that has come down into you. I want to ask you tonight, what is your greatest passion right now? What is the thing that keeps you going, the thing you are excited either to do at some point or that you're doing right now? And with that, because there are so many ministers that face the dreaded burnout. How do you energize your passion? The the thing that I would say that I'm I'm most passionate about, and this is going to sound ridiculous, but let me follow it up. Is is people? Mm-hmm. The reason is whenever I decided to come back to Jonesboro, me and Hannah we prayed that. You know, we wanted to make sure we were doing the right thing. We wanted to make sure this was truly the will of God. And I prayed that God would give me a heart mm-hmm. and a love 
for the people of Jonesboro. And I truly believe that he's done it. I, I, I love the people of Jonesboro. I love the people of POJ. In that, something that Hannah and I have been working on is helping people find their place. Because there is, there is nothing worse than walking into a room and feeling out of place. That is the last thing that our churches are supposed to be or supposed to feel like. And so Hannah and I are working to make sure that every person that steps foot into our church feels like they have a place. Because that's what, and we talk about it a lot, POJ is a church family. That's what we want it to be. We want people to know that when they walk in the door, they're loved. They feel one. They feel the love can of love God. You like family. Nobody can love you like family because when you when you mess up, family still loves you. Right. When you make yeah. mistakes, family still loves you. And church, church is not a building full of perfect people. Churches are full of people who make mistakes. And we have to be a church family who is loving and patient and kind. And, you know, yes, there are people in the church that are going to fall down. They're going to make mistakes. And it who's going to be there to pick them up? Are they going to have to pick themselves up? Or are they going to have a church family that's here to go, hey, you messed up. It's okay. It's not the end of the world. We're going to help pick you up. We're going to help you get back on your feet. We're mm-hmm. going to make sure that you know you belong here. Critical. It is. You know, and I just said, uh, you know, nobody can love you like family. And as soon as I said it, the thought went through my mind. What about those people that didn't come from a loving background? To those people, we say that the church can fill that void. The church, it's its calling to be that loving family. And I thank you, Brock, for installing that passion into this people. For those that are out there that they feel disconnected, they feel hurt by family, that there is a place, and it's not exclusive to the POJ. Oh, no, no. There are churches all over that their passion is a people passion. Mm-hmm. And that church, if you're out there by some chance that by the will of God you have found this podcast, there is a place that you can go where a church will take you in. If you're in Jonesboro, I can tell you where it's at. It's here at the POJ. But if you're on surrounding areas, there is a church where you can find healing and there is a church where you can find a family. Absolutely. Powerful. Absolutely. Brock, I want to end this uh, conversation uh, with a uh, a question. Um, Your dad is a part of the Arkansas District Board. Mm -hmm. He is bivocational, very successful outside the church. Uh, he's currently working on getting his master's degree. Do you feel the pressure to fill your dad's shoes? Absolutely. I mean, you know, there are, you look at what, what my dad has, has accomplished, and absolutely. I mean, can I, can I live up to his legacy? Can I live up to be... But at the same time, I have to realize that I wasn't called to be Daryl Runyon. No, sir. I was called to be Brock Runyon. Yes, sir. And in that, 
I have a different leadership style than my dad. Mm-hmm. I have a different, you know, we're, we're very much, we think a lot alike, but in, there are areas where we're not alike. And it's really, I believe that it's, it's helped us, you know, um, sometimes it's really annoying that if we're sitting in the same room and somebody will say something, we'll respond with the exact wording. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we, we can't do that. Stop like that. <laughs> that's not, that's not okay. Can I, can I press you and see if there's an example you can give where you're not alike? Um, hmm. Okay. I am much more reactive than my dad. Mm-hmm. I, I am, hey, let's go, let's get this done, let's do yeah, this. I've and that is he's let's more, let's set back, we'll <laughs> yeah. let this We'll mm-hmm. let this simmer for a little <laughs> while. And I'm like, what are we waiting on? Let's go, let's do this. If we're going to do it, let's do it. And so, you know, there are times where, <laughs> there are times where we'll be talking about uh, something we want to do for the church. And I'm like, all right, let's go. And he's like, well, let's just see how this plays out. Yeah, and I'm like, we're only one offering away from it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, there there is a lot of pressure there. But at the same time, I have to realize that God didn't call me to be him. And, you know, that's the, that's the beauty of us being able to work together at this church now is there are people who he connects with that, you know, I can't necessarily connect with. There are people who, you know, I'm not smart enough to talk to, but he can connect with them. And there are people who they don't connect with him, but they connect with me. And, you know, one of the biggest things, and I, and I told my dad this, I, I read um, A Tale of Three Kings. Mm-hmm. And one of the biggest things that I have to make sure of as the assistant pastor of this church is I have to make sure that I don't ever use the relationships that I have and the, the people that can connect with me, but not so much with him, I can never use that against him or against the church. Yeah. If you've never read A Tale of Three Kings uh, and you're in ministry, you need to read that so book. So is that your recommended reading? Uh, yes. Yeah, Perfect. that would be my recommended reading. That's, that is a book that, you know, I, I looked at, I, I read it, and it hit me so hard. I went to my dad and I said, I want to, I want to tell you. I want to let you know that I will never be an Absalom. Mm-hmm. I will never be an Absalom. Uh, real quick, because you mentioned the book, give the context real quick to this book to the person that's saying, "Well, I, I've never heard of this book before." And the Absalom, just just in, in real brief, if you could. So, A Tale of Three Kings is about King Saul, mm-hmm. King David, and King Absalom, and it, you know. Absalom was was short lived there, but there there are three different personalities there. Mm-hmm. There are three different leadership styles there, and you know basically you will you will look through this and you'll see um, how you know most people know the story of Saul and David and how Saul was was angry with David and how Saul hunted David and tried to kill David. And um, that book will help you, you know, to, to look at that and go and, and make sure that as a leader that you're not looking at the young men that are under you and not seeing them as a threat. Yeah. And then you look at you look at Absalom and it, as, as a young man, it will help you to look at the leaders that are above you and not look at them like 
I can do this better than they can, or I should be in this position, or I can't believe they made that decision, and it will help you to, to be more humble and learn from them, watch them, and to know that when God calls you, it's not on your time. So yeah. something to think about, and this is, I'll, I'll let you guys wrap this up, but when, when a tree is planted, a fruit tree is planted, for the first three, three years, I believe, they won't let the tree produce any fruit. Mm-hmm. They, they cut the, the buds off. Mm-hmm. They don't let allow it to produce any fruit because they want it to be rooted. They want to make sure that when it does produce fruit, that its roots have taken hold enough to where it doesn't uproot itself because it's produced all this mm-hmm. fruit. And something that I've had to learn as, as a young minister is I have to make sure that I'm not getting ahead of myself. I'm not getting to a place where I think I can do this and I should be able to do this, but I have to make sure that I'm rooted in what God wants me to be so that when it is my time to produce fruit, I will have the root system to keep yeah. me grounded where I'm supposed to be. Wow. What a final word. That's a great, great final word. Brock, it has been an absolute awesome conversation. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you, guys. Some, I appreciate y'all. Some awesome, you. crucial parts to listen to in there. Um, man, I could, I can't thank you enough. Thanks for coming on. Guys, we appreciate you guys taking a listen. Uh, you can follow us on a couple different platforms I'll tell you about. You can follow us on Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, and soon to be iTunes, if you don't mind. Like it, subscribe, leave us a review, and um, anything we can do, we'll have our uh, email address in the, in the final notes. Thank you for listening. This has been a Crucial Conversation.